In Romans 1, 18-32, Paul begins a subject that is all but forgotten in our enlightened, individualized, democratized, progressive society. God's holy, just wrath against all sin. And don't forget, God puts gossip and greed in the list with homosexuality. You owe it to yourself to at least listen to what one of the most influential biblical teachers in history had to say about God's standards, about his wrath against disobedience, and yet his incredible plan for a just forgiveness. General Peter Pace was doing an interview with the Chicago Tribune last Monday, and he started discussing some of the conditions of the military, and they asked him some questions about don't ask, don't tell policy. And he went on to say that he felt that it was wrong, like in the military, if you go to bed with someone that's not your married partner, a husband or a wife, and you commit adultery, that he felt that that wasn't good for morale. And then he went on to have the audacity of saying that homosexuality is immoral. Anybody hear about that this past week, okay? I want you to stop and think about the response. The, the society just came unglued over this. He was suddenly attacked. Some people were even calling for him to resign. They said for the 60,000 uh, gay and lesbians that were serving in the military that he had impugned their honor. Just a tremendous outpour of disgrace. And then he went on and said, well, he was raised thinking that homosexuality was wrong and that possibly he should have focused more on the policy and on his own personal views. And then I flipped on AOL, and AOL has taken a poll. Now, here's what I want you to stop and think. General Pace said that his views about homosexuality were based upon his upbringing. The response to that would be, well, if you've been raised differently, and the truth of the matter is that our high school students are going to be exposed to the idea that there's alternative lifestyles. We even want to teach our little kids throughout the school system that there's alternative lifestyles and that to really be loving and tolerant, you need to understand that there are just different kinds of families and different kind of marriages. Very very strong viewpoint in our culture. And General Page is saying, well, if I was raised differently, maybe I would have had different views. The second thing I want you to think about is that poll. And the idea is that if, as across America, all the thousands upon thousands of AOL users, if they vote on this, that really makes a difference. It's highlighting some very important ideas that are very prevalent. In fact, I believe that a lot of you, very possibly deep in your soul, kind of believe this. The idea, first of all, is that morality, right and wrong, is something that you determine, and it's something that I determine. It's something that the right wing determines, or the left wing determines. That's a very prominent idea. The second idea is that if we vote on it, that it'll change it. Now, what I want you to stop and think about is that in the first century, when the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, what I want you to understand is that in Greek society, homosexuality was totally uh, very much accepted. Now, there's a few distant voices that cry out against it. But, for example, how many of you ever heard of Socrates? Anybody ever heard of Socrates? He's one of the greatest philosophers ever lived. He wrote an incredible treatise. It's called The Symposium on Love. 
And it's a debate back and forth about the nature of human love and probably the most beautiful piece of literature that's ever been written on love is in that symposium that Plato writes about his great mentor Socrates. And some of the most lofty poetic language in Greek is written about love. It's not about the love that a husband has for his wife. It's the love that a homosexual lover has for his partner. That's a society that the Apostle Paul wrote about. I want you also to know General Page talked about adultery. And I want you to know when the Apostle Paul, as you sit in your lap and you pick up the book of Romans today, pick it up and turn to Romans, when Paul was running to the capital of the world empire of his day, the city of Rome, all the Roman men throughout the city would hold that they were two woman men. You've all heard, how many of you ever heard of you need to be a one woman man? Anybody ever heard that? That's what Paul taught us. And all you wives say, amen, right? Don't you want a one-woman man? Okay? In the Roman society, you wives, it would have been totally accepted that, you're, that you produce legitimate children for your husband. They would be his heirs. But you would totally accept the fact that your husband would have mistresses. It was just accepted. Now, sure, there was pain underneath that and competition, but I want you to know that that's the society of the first century world. Homosexuality is accepted, and adultery is just taken for granted. And that's a society that the Apostle Paul is trying to permeate with the gospel. And so as we turn to Romans chapter 1, one of the things I want you to stop and think about, and before you turn me off, and I'm just another bigoted preacher, I want you to stop for a second and ask yourself, let's suppose that one day at the end of time that we're going to stand before a judge. And the judge is going to be the one that determines what's really right and what's really wrong. And let's suppose that our eternal destiny is going to depend upon what we did with what he said was right and what he said was wrong. Because as we look at Romans chapter 118 today, and I've been raised as an evangelical... And it'll be easy even for me to get all hung up in what it says about homosexuality. And I'll have most of you are heterosexual to the core. And homosexuality isn't even on your radar screen for most of you. So you're going to be up on your haunches. You know, get him, get him, get him. Let's get that gay lobby and everything. The Apostle Paul is going to talk about homosexuality. But I also want you to know he's going to talk about greed. He's going to talk about the drive, do we need a bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger TV set? And why do we need that? Nothing wrong with TVs, but something really wrong about living to get that next material thing. That's going to be it on his list. You're in the beauty parlor, and he's going to talk about gossiping. And that's going to be on the list. Unless any of the kids get missed out, anybody had trouble with obeying their parents disobeying their parents is going to be on this list too. As we begin, this long section is going to go from Romans 1.18 all the way through 3.23. The Apostle Paul is going to take a spiritual MRI. And I want you to hang in with me because to be honest with you, it doesn't make any difference what I think about homosexuality. It doesn't make any difference whether I think you need to be a one-woman man or a two-woman man or a three-woman man or vice versa. That's not going to make any difference. Every single one of you one day is going to stand before the creator of the universe. And I'm going to talk to you today about the fact that the creator of the universe is talking to every single one of you this morning 
And he's also talking to all your friends at work. And we're going to find that an amazing thing is that he has revealed to every single one of us deep in our soul what's really right and what's really wrong. And the way that we respond to his voice is very important. In fact, one of the things we're going to find out as we open up and take this spiritual MRI, it's kind of like going to a physician and he's going to do this MRI of what's really going on in our soul. And what the Apostle Paul from Romans 1.18 all the way through 3.23, he's going to be a physician. And it's like going to the doctor and you feel really great and you think everything's going great. But when he puts the MRI down and he brings the results to you, it's not really good news. And that's what I want you to look at. Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Let's look at the first section. The Apostle Paul is going to talk to us, first of all, about the suppression of, God, of, of God's revelation to us. How many of you would feel that if someone's trying to get across the truth to you, they're trying to tell you reality, you're trying to teach somebody something, and they resist you, they hold it down because they want to keep doing what you don't want them to do. How would you feel about that? Not too good, right? Any of you parents ever feel that? You know, you're trying to get across something to your kids, and you know it's really going to hurt them, but they really want to do it, so they turn you completely off. How do you respond to that? Any of you parents ever get a little bit ticked about that? Come on, be honest. Anybody? Yes. Okay. Well, let's find out where that tickness comes from. Look at Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven, is presently, right now, throughout your life and throughout the world you live in, It's presently being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness or the irreverence, the failure to honor God and to respect God. That's what the word means. And the resulting um, wickedness or failure to obey God's standards. That word that's used there for wickedness is a word that means that you don't take God into account and then you therefore do all kinds of actions that are against God's standards. He says, they suppress the truth. Now, what do they suppress the truth? They suppress it by their wickedness. Since what, now Paul can explain what he's talking about. Since from the very beginning of the world, what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, the fact that there's this invisible God, and we can know some things about this invisible God, we can know, first of all, his eternal power, And we can also know some things about his divine nature. Even though it's invisible, as we look at the visible handiwork that our creator has done in creation, we can learn some very valid things about his nature. They're clearly seen. Every one of your friends, every single person that you meet knows these things. And we're going to talk about what those things are. How? Being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Well, the Apostle Paul is saying that here we're taking this MRI, and the very first thing I want you to see is he talks about something very unpopular. If you're a public school teacher, you have devoted your life to teaching children that I'm okay and you're okay. And the basic idea that you've been taught from the time that you went to even A&M, or I know you learned it at UT, is that all those marvelous little kids are great little kids. And if you'll only get out of their way, that they'll really be good kids. And what's really wrong with them is that you haven't built them up enough. You haven't built up their self-image. You haven't built up how good they are. Now, what I want to understand is that the Apostle Paul is saying, and the, and the basic idea, any talk about God 
is that God is loving and kind and good. Is God loving and kind and good? Yes. But I'm going to tell you about something that hardly anyone ever talked about in our culture anymore. It says God is loving and kind and good. He's the ultimate gentle one. He's the ultimate forgiver. He's the ultimate, you know, father. He's the ultimate tender one. All the words you can use for he's the ultimate faithful one. But I also want you to know that he's the ultimate just one. He's the ultimate holy one. And what Paul wants you to understand is that you're never going to understand why his son had to hang on the cross unless you face what's really going on inside of you and unless you understand that a righteous, holy God pours out intense, powerful hatred and wrath against the sin that's happening. Now, in our society, nobody gets that until... The wickedness hits you. I'm going to do something in the next few minutes, and and I'm going to use a very graphic image. And I've been debating about whether to do this, but one of the only ways I can get you to get it is to paint a really vivid picture. Because we all have the idea that everyone's supposed to be loving and kind. Let's suppose you're a husband. You come home from work late. Your door from your garage to your kitchen is ajar. As you walk into the house, your wife is stripped and bloodied and dead on the floor. As you look into the entryway from the kitchen to the dining room, a hooded man is raping your seven-year-old daughter. As a daddy, what are you going to do? Why? Because in that moment of time... In that moment of time, you're going to have incredible, intense wrath. You're going to be angry. And what I want to share with you is that you love your wife. You love your child. And if you don't do anything at that point, you don't love them. You're a coward. You are a a man who doesn't have any strength. And you don't understand the nature of wickedness. That picture faces you with the horror of what evil can do. And what the scripture is saying, if you as a husband, if you as a daddy, understand the anger that would well up in your soul. When in just very real, when Frank, Mary's brother, was driving a car on a Christmas day evening and picked up his brother, picked up two of his sons from sleigh riding, and was just driving casually home, and a car came 80 miles an hour on the wrong side of the the road and plastered Frank. He turned to get away, and the guy hit him on this right side, and Frank looked back, and his 15-year-old teenage brother was dead. And he jumped out of the car as quick as he could, and he went back to the guy that hit him, and the guy breathed alcohol all over him. Frank was angry. And that's wrath. When I want you to understand that that's not that you've been blocked, that you're irritated. It's not me being ticked at Mary because she asked me to take the garbage out again. That is a holy, righteous understanding that when evil is done, it has to be paid for. And what I want you to understand is that what Romans is telling you is that there's a righteous, holy God. And he sets up the standards. And his standards reveal it's what protects little girls. It's what protects wives. 
It's what protects every single one of you. And when we disobey, when we disobey, it brings tremendous pain against yourself. It sets loose a tremendous cascading power of cause and effect that produces terrible agony. It's eventually made all of the human race in a graveyard called this world. And that's why the Apostle Paul said that the gospel begins with not I'm okay, you're okay, but this incredible, intense evil that's inside of us that's suppressing the truth. And what Paul is talking about in this opening paragraph is that we basically we have the idea that it's very hard to find God. Anybody ever have that idea? I have that idea at times. That it's really hard to find God. It's really hard to know God. In other words, if you're a scientist and you look at chemistry, if you're a biologist and you look at biology, if you're, if you're an astronomer and you think about the Big Bang, that it's really, really hard to find God. What the Bible is saying is, though, that's not true. I want every single one of you to know that it's not hard at all for you to find God. What Paul is telling you is that not only that the wrath of God is being poured out against those that disobey him, but he's also saying that God is speaking around the world to the billions of people that live on planet Earth. God is speaking. And God, deep in their soul, the Apostle Paul is saying that they, they knew God initially. The Bible starts out with Adam and Eve walking in a garden with God. The Bible goes on with Cain, a murderer that murders his brother, with God making it possible for him to live. The story in the Bible is not about a distant God. It's a story of a God that, that took the children of Israel through the Red Sea and just crushed Pharaoh so that all the world would know. Contrary to what you think, in a secular classroom or in a secular university, God actually is very present. And every one of you, deep in your soul, have had him talking to you from the time you've been small. In fact, every day, the Apostle Paul is saying, when the sun comes up, according to Psalm 19, every day the sun comes up. And how many of you can look at the sun? So how many, when you turn away from the sun, the smallest child would say, is the sun powerful? How many would say the sun is powerful? It's a blinding light, okay? Now, if the sun is like that, doesn't it kind of put two and two together that there's something more powerful that created the sun. And you can't even look at the sun, but how many of you appreciate the sun? And you like to go out and, and drink in. You know, even my little West Highland Terrier goes out there and finds a sunny place and stretches out so that all that vitamin D or whatever it is pours into his soul, into his physical body. Why doesn't it incinerate you? Why is it at just the right distance? Why is it at just the right temperature? Because God loves you. Because you can know not only that God's very powerful, but you can also know that he's caring for you. How many of you like a good drink of water? How many of you find when you're at a beautiful stream and it's cool, and from the time I've been a little boy, like being right in the Adirondacks, in the middle of a hot summer when it's 85, once in a while in the Adirondacks, and you dive into this incredible crystal clear wake, that incredible feeling, there's a God that's refreshing us. We can know all of that deep in our soul. How many of you have ever been moved? Something inside of you moves you to be thankful when that happens. God's talking to you. God is saying, I'm great. I'm powerful. I'm personal. Like, look at your own soul. What do you value? Every one of you in this room, you value things that are personal. 
you value truth, you value peace, you value love. You see one flick after another, one movie after another that says Billy Crystal with trying to find himself. What's the one thing? Well, family. Every one of you, we just preach it. Why do we care about relationships? Why are relationships so important? Because the ultimate God of the universe, if we're personal and we're into relationships, then where did that idea come from? There must be someone that's a greater person. Do you follow that? And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying that just by looking at nature, you can know that you're not a thing. There's a difference between you and a rock. Just by looking at nature, you can know that there's somebody bigger, that you, like the song says, somebody bigger than you and I. And on and on it goes. That's what Paul is saying. Now, you say, well, Dave, then why don't we respond? And the Apostle Paul is saying is we hold that down. And I want you to listen to me. God is speaking to every single one of us through nature, and we learn about his power. We learn his incredible divine nature. And we're moved to awe. Every one of us are moved to awe, but we suppress it, and it tells us that instead of glorifying God, instead of praising God and giving him thanks, look at verse 21. Verse 21, how do we respond? For though they knew God, they neither glorified God as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking hearts became empty. The word there, futile, means their, their thinking hearts became empty and it was filled with foolishness and darkness. So internally, our thought life, as we look at nature, we want to be involved in wickedness so that we start holding down that voice of God. We suppress it so that we can keep doing the things that we want to do. And although they claim to be wise, we're arrogant. We think we have all the answers. They became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God, and they started worshiping images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. So what the Apostle Paul is telling us is that we start off the human race, and every single one of you, Paul's not only talking about the history of Adam and Eve and what flows from the Old Testament, but he's also talking about your heart and the heart of your friends. And what he's saying is that the Almighty Creator God from the beginning of time, according to Romans 1, had been talking to every single one of you, but you want to do the wrong thing, so you hold down his revelation. You don't receive it. Have you ever stopped and think about the history of the world? Like Egypt was a great culture. And when you open up to the book of Exodus, just to illustrate it to you, Pharaoh is worshiping himself, and he's the manifestation of the sun. And they, he has a big falcon crescent that he wears on his headdress because he worships the falcon god. When you go to the river Nile, they worship the crocodile. They worship the frog. In fact, when you go through the plagues of Egypt, they are representatives of the different gods of Egypt. And the Lord God of Israel is systematically going through the gods of, of Egypt and showing there's somebody bigger than that. And he's upset. And he is going to bring great judgment against you. His wrath is being poured out among all this idolatry. And as Americans today, we say, hey, I'm not into that. For example, when I was with Mary's dad many years ago at the Rockefeller Museum in Israel, um, just down the street in the old city, and I go in, and, and there's these little figurines all over the museum, little Ashtart, many-breasted little idols. They, had, they carried them all over the place. And I'm saying, hey, you know, we don't do that. That's not what we do. Yes, we do. Your friends know all about Paris Hilton. What are your friends know all about Paris Hilton? What skill does she have? 
You worship Ashtart, just the way they have from ancient times, only you don't have to carry around little grotesque sculptures. You have gigantic big screens you can go to. And you can watch guys and girls sexually do their thing. And almost all of you just take it for granted. And I want you to know what you're saying. Why do you do that? You could say, I live for that because my life is boring. My life is tedious. My life doesn't seem to be doing anything. And so I can be tintillated. I can be entertained. That's worship. That's worship. And that's idolatry. Because what you're saying, what you're saying is, if I can just experience that, then I'm going to be alive. And instead of thanking the Lord for the way that he wants sexuality to be used, instead of thanking the Lord for food the way he wants it to be used, and exercise and all those marvelous things, instead of our lives being filled with thanksgiving and praise, we forget about God, we suppress him, and we run after all these things. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. And what the ancient world did is they did it, they had, like, if you were a Roman Greek, you would go and watch plays, and in the plays, they'd have all their gods represented in those plays, and then you would have little figurines that you were by, like if you were an Ephesian, you would go to the to greatest Diana the Ephesian, and you would worship before this meteorite, and you would be an idolater, and that's what the Apostle Paul is exposing. Now, one of the things I want you to see that's very important is the connection between idolatry and immorality. And Paul talks about the, the dominance of homosexuality within his culture. So look what he has to say. Let's look at those next verses, which are hard. It says in verse 24, how does God respond? As people don't thank him, as they don't respond to his power and his grandeur, what do they do? Look, it says God hands them over. It's like you're in a rage. Calvin described it, it's like you're in a, a raging stream being caught in the current. And God, through his natural revelation, is trying to hold you back from going over the waterfall. And so he's hanging on to you, and when God hands you over, it's like he lets you go. Our society says, what I desire to do is what's right to do, and it's what I'm going to do. And if you restrain me, like the reason that General Pates was so attacked is that homosexuals are saying, I want you to understand that. This is what they're saying. This is me. And I have incredibly strong passions. And unless I can live in that lifestyle, unless I can give in to those desires, and this is what I've done from the time I was very small, then I'm going to die. And so this is my life. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. They hold like Helen DeGeneres and all those people and Rosie are going to tell you, that this is life, and it's marvelous for them. But Romans 1 still says this. Look what it says. It says, God handed them over to their, their illicit desires. The word their sinful desires means every one of you, very few of you are tempted like Helen DeGeneres is and Rosie O'Donnell is. So it's easy for you to attack them. But every one of you in this room with an MRI have an illicit heart that has passions that you want to do that will destroy you. And the Apostle Paul goes on and says that you have desires to do sexually impure things and you want to degrade your body with one another. Now he talked about homosexuality. They exchanged the truth of God. Look at your body. Look at the way it's engineered. Look at the way that it's built. 
They exchange the truth of God for lie. Look at the joy of families. Look at the joy of being a grandparent. They exchange the truth of God for a lie, and they worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Notice how Paul automatically breaks into praise and thanksgiving. Now he goes on. Because of this, God gave them over to disgraceful, degrading lust is what the word shameful means. When I was a kid, homosexuality wasn't even mentioned. You would never, when I was a kid, never hear a message. If you taught Romans 1, you would gloss over this. Anybody remember those days? Well, the reason I'm telling you is that your kids, just talk to them. They hear all about it from a lot of different sources. So the Apostle Paul is saying, even through women exchange the natural relations for unnatural ones, the same way the men also abandoned natural relations with women, and they were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men, and they received in themselves the due penalty of their perversion. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. If you're in a raging stream and there's rocks ahead and a raging rapids, and I let go of you, I hand you over, you're going to hit the rocks. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. The Apostle Paul is saying that there's a great creator. He designed every one of you. He designed me from the time I was small to be a man. And he designed Mary to be a woman. And that's his plan. And he means for there to be sexuality in a committed, faithful relationship with the possibility and the joy of producing kids, and that keeps the human race going. And things fit, and things work, and they're productive. Now, this is what your society has done. Your society says it's all about your desire. It's all about what you want to do, what your body craves. And one of the things I want you to understand is the Apostle Paul is not just saying that homosexuality is evil. He's also saying that heterosexual fornication is evil for exactly the same reading, reason. It's not following your creator's design. It's saying that I will be meaningful and I will have life and that I will have everything I want. In high school, you'll say, if guy will say, if I can only have that beautiful cheerleader, then I'm going to really be somebody and I'm going to be important. And it brings such incredible, exhilarating pleasure to my body. And a girl will feel, well, my dad's never home and he's always at work. And here's a guy that really cares for me. And if I just join myself and became one physically with that guy, then I'm going to be loved and I'm going to be appreciated. Is that true? Do you all really believe that's true? You know in your soul it isn't true, don't you? And that's why the Lord hates it so much. Because our society, Helen DeGeneres says, I'm happy, everything's fine, no penalties to pay. When Mary and I were at Dallas Theological Seminary, a gorgeous couple, they could have been on the front page of any magazine. He was just be- tall, skinny, beautiful, premature gray hair with a youth, youthful face. His wife was like a model, incredible musician, working in the public relations department at Dallas Seminary, incredible family, a little bit older than Mary and I. Life is great. Life is beautiful. But my friend was gay, and he had another life, and he lived that other life. And it's all neutral. It's all neutral. There aren't any things to pay. Nothing ever goes wrong when you give in to your desires, does it? My friend is dead. 
He left his beautiful wife behind. And we could argue he was raised by this bigoted evangelical culture that makes him live this double life. But he's dead. You know, for all the Elton Johns in the world, what I challenge every teenager, when your teacher says everything is relative, everything's neutral, as a chemist, one of the things I was taught is look at the facts. Look at the statistics. Look what really happened. So you take the homosexual community and go to a life insurance agent and ask yourself what the risk is if you're gay. Any life insurance agents here? So before teenagers, you buy the fact that everything is fine. In insurance, it, you get really down to what's real because money is involved. So just go up to Oak, you know, to the Oak Lawn area of Dallas and do analyses of what lifespans are, do analyses of suicide rates. And the scripture's not saying that God hates homosexuals. What he's saying is, if we break God's incredible, beautiful standards of the way that he's made us, the way he's made us physically, the way he's made us emotionally, the way that he's made us spiritually, and we rebel, you can yell all you want to, and you, like, based on what I'm saying, there could be a day when I get thrown in jail for preaching like I am right now that could easily be here soon. And I want you to know it's not going to change anything because I don't decide what's right and what's wrong. And what I want you to know is I have real gay friends. I don't hate gays because I love them. That just like I hate the pride in myself and just like I hate the slander that sometimes goes forth from my mouth, just like I hate the immoral lust that I have that could destroy my precious wife and my kids, I also hate their illicit desire in the area of homosexuality. That's what Paul is saying. Paul goes on and talks about some other things. He talks about homosexuality, which is high up on our thing, but look at verse 28. It says, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, I notice again, time and time again in this passage, Paul talks about the suppression of the truth, he talks about how God's wrath comes out against their false worship. And I've talked to you about the connection between worship and sinfulness, worship and idolatry and immorality. Now he closes by talking about spreading out from other kinds of sins that a lot of us will be involved in. Look what he says. Since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over. Again, he let them go down the stream to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness. That's a general word. It goes right back to verse 18, godlessness and wickedness. There's our word wickedness. They have become filled with every kind of actions that produce pain, that produce destruction, evil. That's another general word. Then he talks about a word that we don't talk that much about. I've never seen evangelicals lobby against greed. There's even preachers right now that are saying, like, I want you to know as a pastor teacher, I really feel the Lord, I need a golf stream. And it will really help my ministry. I, I, Dale Nunn and I really need a golf stream. And boy, I could really do great things for God. That's greed. I really want you to know that's greed. And that's just as bad as homosexuality. And it's just as bad as heterosexual lust. And the apostle, in fact, that's a really big one. In other words, as a, as a woman, do you go to Lord and Taylor when you get discouraged? When you feel depressed, when life's going bad, that's worship. 
That's what that is. That's why you do it. When you get that new dress and you feel great, nothing wrong with a new dress. Your heavenly daddy wants your husband. I can, I can tell husbands, the Lord will model for you. As a husband, you need to dress your wife beautifully. Nothing wrong with a dress at all. But if you go to the mall to feel alive, to feel worthwhile, it's worship. And that's greed. And boy, does that infect our hearts. I'm not trying to destroy you by telling you that. I'm trying to, to, to move you to your daddy in heaven that will make you feel alive. But that's what greed is. And then he goes on and says, depravity, which is another general word for dirtiness, picking up on some all the, the heterosexual, the dirty things that we do. Depravity would all be involved in this. And then he says, deceit. What about lying? In business, do you deceive? That's just as bad as homosexuality in God's book. And the wrath of God pours forth against that line. Malice. Do you want to get somebody? Is there a lingering hatred in your life and it makes you, when you hear that something bad has happened to somebody, you go, good, I'm glad that happened. That's malice. And that's inside of us. It's a horrible thing. He says, they are gossip. Ooh, that's a touchy one. It's slander. The word gossip is a, the word literally in Greek means, are you a whisperer? How many of you have whispered this week? And you haven't talked directly to people about the things that you're talking about. That's gossip. Slander is, is when you, you, you put it out to the media. Not necessarily the, you know, the written media or the, or the radio media or TV, but you put it out to the grapevine and you trumpet it. Those words are related in Greek. One is kind of a secret thing that demolishes someone. They don't even know who demolished them, who said something bad about them. God-haters... I read the blogs against General Pace this week. And you want to talk about hate. And I've talked about it. I have friends that are homosexuals. Mary and I have some homosexuals that I think they forget that Mary and I are on their email list. And you talk about hate, right, honey? Mary sometimes will come in almost weeping and saying, I can't believe it. I can hardly read it. You know, let's kill them. You know, they're like the Nazis, and I can't even tell you what they went on and said. And that's just one manifestation. Evil's real. Hate. We start hating each other. It says that we're insolent and arrogant. Those words relate to our pride, our hubris. You've heard the word hubris. That's where that word comes from. It means that, that we live for ourselves. We live for our own passions. They invent—this is incredible— they invent ways of doing evil. That's where our society is. And we come up with new and better ways— to do evil. Here's a tough one. They disobey their parents. Why do you, when you're a teenager, do you want to just rebel against your parents? Because we resist the truth of God. We suppress it. And disobeying parents is in the same list with homosexuality. So don't come down on the gates unless you hate disobeying parents just as badly. It says they are senseless, they're empty, they're faithless, they don't keep their promises, they're heartless, they're ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but they also approve those who practice them. The Apostle Paul is actually saying, as we close here, he's saying, you know, you might not practice this immorality yourself, but if you say that it's okay and you condone it, then in some ways you're worse because that teaching cascades through the society. You say, well, Dave, what is all this about? I want, you to, I want you to really see where this list is. Because, because in evangelicalism, I could stop right now and say, okay, you need to go march on Washington. 
And you need to write Helen DeGeneres a bunch of letters this week and tell her what a, what a terrible person she is. That's not what the Apostle Paul, and, and I want you to listen to me as we close. Evangelicalism has forgotten why the Apostle Paul wrote Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against how much wickedness? Everybody tell me. Oh. I'm not standing before you. Like, I don't have a homosexual drop in my body. But I got a ton of heterosexual desires in my body that could destroy my family. I have a ton of hubris, a ton of pride. Just tell me that Chuck Swindoll teaches better than me. Or like years and years ago, I was teaching a Bible study on Proverbs, and when I got all done, a dear friend of mine that I loved dearly came up to me afterwards and said, you know, if you really want to hear a good teacher on Proverbs, you ought to hear so-and-so. <laughs> and the Lord Jesus in Romans 1.18, the MRI looks at my heart and says, David... You got a malignancy. You're going to die. What Paul is saying is that we're all down in the Venus prison. That's what he's saying. Now, some of you need to hang on until next week because some of you are sitting there going, David, man, I don't know what you're talking about because I go to church every Sunday and I'm really religious. Well, you need to come back next time we teach because the Apostle Paul started out way out here with the, what, what we think are the really bad guys. But now he's going to start focusing in. Here's all the bad guys, all the so-called pagans. And his case is this. He says if you're a homosexual, he doesn't want you to say my lifestyle is life-giving and beautiful and marvelous and how terrible it is for anybody to attack me. He says I want you to face the truth. It's killing you. And it's killing your mom and dad. And you won't ever be able to have kids if you stay in that lifestyle. To be honest with you, a bunch of my homosexual friends were married and have children. Why is that? If this is really just this third kind, where did the kids come from? I don't hate gays. Any more than I hate those that gossip. Any more than I hate those that are arrogant and prideful. But because I love you, I'm not going to ever tell you that sin that produces such devastating effects in life is okay. And I'm also going to tell you that there's a righteous, holy God that if we don't let him do something about our arrogance, about our slander, about our gossip, if we don't let him do something about our heterosexual lust, if we don't stop worshiping idols, we're going to be lost forever and ever and ever. And that's what Paul is driving us to. You see, if you're a person that has malignancy, and I show you an MRI and the malignancy is really clear, and you say, I don't think that's true, you'll never take my remedy. And that's why most of America doesn't really understand why Jesus had a hang on the cross. You don't understand why there needed to be a passion. Brooke, a senior in high school, should have graduated in just a month. Sean, Brooke's daddy, read a piece that Brooke wrote when she was 15. 
And she said, I just cried as I heard her say, why do we gossip on the Internet? Why do we hurt each other so badly? said, why can't we get along? Why is there so much strife? Why do we hate each other? She said, why do my friends have to sleep with one person after another? Why do my friends think it's so cool they get drunk at parties? Don't they see how foolish they look? Romans 1, 18 and following. The bad news is that we're all under this wrath and anger, justice of God. But if you'll only realize that, it can lead to Jesus. It can lead you to come in just as you are without one plea, but that his blood was shed for me. Now, this is what I want you to do this week. Number one, I want you to understand as you leave here that one of the things that Jesus turns around in your life is instead of just living for yourself and forgetting about God, like Paul, you say, blessed be the eternal God. You look at a beautiful sunset and you go, oh, my, oh, my daddy, thanks. You're going for a walk and you realize, you feel the fresh breeze on you and say, life is good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. When we sing, that's why we sing. It's about letting my heart say, God, thank you. Thank you for creating me. Thank you for giving me life. I want to adore you. I want to love you. That's what I want you to learn at the church family. I want to learn that. I went to a seminary where, where we can learn everything there's to know in your head. And we can know the most marvelous truths in the world. And it never causes us to say, it, it never, I felt like times like standing up and saying, do you realize what you just said from the book of Revelation? I saw that this week changed my brother's life. Wallace McWhorter isn't drunk anymore because of what you just said, the truth. And my friend is going to be with his family, going to be able to, I know now after several years that he's going to see his grandkids and everything else. He's not going to be killed driving from Colleen because of your gospel. And you just sit there like it doesn't mean anything. We should praise. That's what worship is. And that's what Romans is trying to produce in you. That's what Paul believed. The second thing I want you to do you have homosexuals that you work with. I talked to you about my homosexual friends. I want you to pray for them. And I also want you to get to know them. And I want you to show them that there's an evangelical that doesn't hate them and doesn't want to destroy them. I want them to meet an evangelical that says, I'm a sinner too. And I've met an incredible, transforming Savior. The third thing I want you to do is take this list. And I want you to look at the list. And I want you to take the one that bothers you. And instead of ducking the MRI, I want you to say, Lord Jesus, you came into my life to transform in it. What I'm teaching you is not about saying, I'm going to try harder, and I'm going to promise, and I'm going to live purely, and I'm going to resist temptation. That's not what I'm teaching you this morning. Please understand that. You'll never overcome homosexuality by promising you won't. It's not what I'm talking about. You could, my gay friend, which is an extreme form of lust, could sign covenants till they're blue in the face, and they'll never break the hold. I'm talking to you about Jesus coming to live inside of you. Do you get that? About it changing your desires. About it changing your whole identity. And I'm talking about a life just like resurrection takes place inside of you.
And it's going to be a struggle. Because the Lord Jesus, as far as his father is concerned, he transformed us like that. But it's going to be a lifetime. You might struggle with your gay lust for a lifetime. You might struggle with your gossip. But you should be progressing because this new life of Christ is pouring inside of you. We've got something much greater to offer people than just signing covenants. We've got this incredible, resurrected, living Savior. And he lives inside of me. And I pray that he lives inside of you. And I want you to leave this week... And I want you to get across to the world that we're all on death row. And Jesus has walked in and said, you can all go free. Because all of my daddy's wrath was poured out on me on Calvary. He loves you. And he can give you eternal life. Just admit that you're a sinner and you need him. For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter, Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. Our telephone number is 1-888-668-7884.